Hey, before I start preaching, I want you guys to do something for me. You could be seated. I want you all, I don't care what it is, look at your family member next to you or your neighbor sitting next to you and just say something, anything, all together on three. Think of what you're going to say. And I want you to say it nice and loud, okay? Oh, one, two, three. And you say, well, why in the world is he doing that? Did, I do that because you hear the, rah, 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 the, this noise of so many voices, and I think about how that's how our lives are sometimes. There, there are so many voices that, that come into our ears and our minds and our hearts. I think of just some of them. There's the voice of our own conscience, right? There's the voice of our fleshly evil desires, Sometimes there's the voice of tweeters or radio TV hosts, podcasters, politicians. Sometimes there's the voices of boyfriends, girlfriends, family members, bosses, co-workers. There's also the voice of God. Today we're going to look at a man who listened to and was swayed by many voices. We know him as Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who, who killed the babies in Bethlehem. We're looking at his son, Herod Antipas. And as we look at this moment in his life, I want us to ask ourselves some questions. This is what I want us to keep in our hearts as we go through this whole message. What voice is the loudest in my life? What voice is the most dominant? What voice most consistently shapes my decisions day in, day out? What voice in my life do I most consistently follow? Can we keep those in mind as we go through? Remember what Jesus said about serving two masters? He said, no one can serve two masters. He didn't say no one should serve two masters. He said no one can. But old Herod, he sure, sure go, gave it the old college try. I, I say that because as we go through this account, I want to highlight at least six voices that swayed Herod, that pulled him in various directions. The first voice was the voice of his own conscience. The voice of his own conscience. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 14, verse 1. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch. Notice it doesn't say king. He wanted to be called king, but he wasn't. He was a Tetrarch. And you say, what was a Tetrarch? For those of you who grew up when I did, just think about Tetris, okay? How many lines did you have to stack up before they disappeared at Tetris? What was it? Four, right? But Tetrarch was a ruler of the one-fourth of the land. That's what this Herod was. He's a, a Tetrarch. Because when he heard about the fame of Jesus, he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So he hears about Jesus' miracles, and that's the first place he goes. This is John the Baptist. 
raised from the dead? Why? Because as we're going to see, he had imprisoned and killed John the Baptist, God's prophet, and now his conscience is bothering him. Maybe a little superstition mixed in. This is zombie John the Baptist coming to get me. I don't know. But his conscience is getting him, I believe. And now, starting at verse 3, we're going to look at exactly what had happened between him and John the Baptist. You could call it a flashback to something that had happened earlier. For Herod had seized John and bound him and, and put him in prison. Conscience is bothering him. Now we get to the second voice that was pulling Herod. His wife. His wife. Why did he have John bound and put in prison? It says right there in verse 3, for the sake of Herodias. That's the woman he had married. But there's a lot more to the story. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Historians tell us not only was it his brother's wife, this was also his niece. He divorced his own wife. She divorced her husband, and they hooked up. Why would he lock up John in light of this? For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. John didn't just go once. It says he had been saying to him. He went repeatedly to this ruler in the land and spoke, God's truth as a prophet of God. This is a hard passage to deal with for any believer that says Christians should never speak to evil outside of the church. John the Baptist did to this leader in the land. And we see that Herod was tugged by the voice of his wife. He imprisoned him because of that. Third voice, the voice of public opinion. You might call this peer pressure if you're in school. It says in verse 5, Though Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. He didn't do it right away. You see, you see the tug of war? I, I want to kill him, but I, I'm afraid of these people. I'm afraid of public opinion. Many of whom looked at John and said, That's a prophet of God. So there's this tug of war going on. He also was privileged to hear the voice of God himself through the prophet John the Baptist. That was one of the voices after Herod. We know that because John came repeatedly. We already saw that, but Mark goes even into more details. Mark 6.19 says Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John. He had some awe of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe for a time. It says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It sounds like when John was even in prison, Herod would go down sometimes and listen. And you think about the love of God, how many opportunities Herod had to repent John kept on coming. If a prophet shows up, it's a sign of God's love. He wants you to repent. God himself was a voice in the mix. 
but he's also tugged by his own evil flesh. Look at verse 6. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Historians tell us her name was Salome. Some say she may have been as young as 12 to 14 years old when this happened. It was likely a a lust-inspiring dance. Herod and many of his fellow partiers were likely drunk. May have even been planned by Herodias in advance to get what she wanted, we don't know. But whatever the case, I believe his flesh led him to make a foolish, open-ended offer. He was so pleased by this young girl's dance, verse 7, that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. Verse 9 is one of the most interesting verses to me in all of Scripture. It says, the king was sorry. Told you he wasn't a king, he wanted to be. It was sometimes referred to as that. But he was sorry. You see his conscience again, even in the middle of this party, right? What a, what a moment of potential to turn, to step back from his foolishness, but did he? No. That leads to the sixth and final voice that I see swaying Herod the voice of the powerful people that were there with him at his party. The king was sorry. What's it say? But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. Think about that. Even though his conscience was screaming, stop, this is not right, turn around. He didn't want the powerful people in the room to think less of him for, for breaking an oath. You know, talk about what Jesus said, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I don't want to break an oath, so I'm going to illegally execute one of God's prophets without a trial. He cared that much about the opinions of the powerful people in that room that he would not break that foolish oath. Verse 10, we sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. I think about those six voices pulling on Herod swaying him and I imagine him almost like someone being drawn and quartered you know you know that old execution means where someone would have a rope tied to each limb and a horse tied to the other end and they would go four separate directions that's almost how I see Herod here and and I think about that and I think about some contrast between John the Baptist and Herod just walk with me through some of these contrasts. you got John the Baptist. He, he spent much of his time where? In simplicity in the desert. Right? That's, that's where his ministry happened. Herod lived in the luxury of a palace. John was in the quiet of the desert and then the quiet of his cell. Herod 
in the middle of the busyness and, and pomp of being a ruler. John listened to and was led by the voice of God. Herod listened to many voices and was pulled in many contrary directions. Why do I share that? Is it because being busy, having some wealth and power are evil in and of themselves? No. No. But we need to beware because they can become distractions to the one voice that matters above all others. Our two boys and ten other kids came home from youth camp this week. And one of the questions they came home with from the speaker applies real nicely in our message today. The speaker looked at them and said, look, it's easy to connect with God at camp. Why? Because you all checked your cell phones in on Monday and you didn't get them back till Friday, right? (laughs) But on the last day, he asked them the question, you need to think about how you're going to continue to connect with God as you jump back out into the real world. That's a great question for all of us to to ponder. John was called, what, a voice in the wilderness. And I believe the voice in the wilderness, the reason he had something to say and was faithful to the end, it was because he listened to the voice of God above every other voice. We know this because of his faithfulness. We also know this because of something the angel said to his father when he predicted John's birth. Luke 1, Zechariah was told, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And you think about that. What does the Holy Spirit do even today in the lives of believers? He reminds us of what God has said in His Word. The Bible. Think of what Jesus said to His guys in that upper room. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I believe John feasted on God's Word even in the desert, as the Spirit reminded him of God's truth. What else does the Spirit do in the lives of believers? He doesn't just remind us of God's Word. He shines a light on it. He helps us understand what it means. But does he have interest in leaving it on the pages of the book? Absolutely not. He goes further. He empowers us to live out what we've learned in God's word, and he guides us moment by moment in situations on a daily basis. How? How to live it out. Let me give you just two examples of of where I've seen this lately, where the Spirit tugged on my heart. I had recently read a verse in Isaiah that's been comforting me. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And I thought about the love of our Savior. That verse brings me great comfort as we go through the the vicissitudes of life. But a lot of times when God points us to a scripture, do you know it's not just for you? 
often he wants to take that and use it in the life of someone else. And that's what I saw. I started thinking about someone that I hadn't seen at church for a while. And you, you can look around this room. There, there's enough people that you say, well, there's probably a number of people that haven't been here for a while. But one person kept, kept coming to mind. I hadn't seen him for a couple weeks. I said, I need to call him. And I called him and said, hey, brother, how you doing? And when I talked to him, he said, you know what? If I'm honest, I'm pretty discouraged. I had some plans to move out east, and those fell through. I'm looking at the housing market around here, and you can't hardly rent a room anywhere for $800. He said, it's got me discouraged as I look around. I'm, I'm weighed down. I don't know what's next. I shared this verse with him. I said, brother... He's with you. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He's going to lead you through this. And we prayed together. I said, can we get together next week and follow up? He said, you bet. I believe God put that brother on my heart. Led me to, to call him. Another way he led me recently was in our family. Guys, you know God has called us to be the, the loving leader of our families as husbands and, and fathers. And one of the things I've been praying about the last couple months is how do we as a family reinforce the truth of the gospel in the youngest member of our family? So fast forward a couple weeks, I had a meeting at Denny's with Bill Vogel from CEF, Childhood Evangelism Fellowship. And he started talking about the wordless book that they used to share the gospel with kids. Charles Spurgeon used it, Moody used it, many have used it over years. Some of you have seen that wordless book. Sometimes it's on a bracelet. It, it, it's different colors, right? Gold represents heaven, right? The, the dark page represents our, our, our sin that separates us from God. The red page reminds us of the blood of Jesus, right? The white page Reminds us that we're washed clean when we trust in Him. And then the green page reminds us how important it is to grow once we've done that, to, to get in God's Word and, and pray and fellowship with other believers. So after he told me that, I, I had breakfast with the family, especially talking to the older four, and I said, hey guys, what if we all five get one of those bracelets and together let's reinforce the truth of this in the youngest member of our family. Help him understand what God has done for him. I believe God answered the cry of my heart and is helping us figure out how to do that. He points us to the truth of God's word and helps us live it out. But what else does the Holy Spirit do today? He also points us to Jesus, the word made flesh, right? Why? Because Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. The Holy Spirit always glorifies and lifts up Jesus. So if somebody ever comes to you and tells you the Holy Spirit told me something and it doesn't line up with God's written word and it doesn't glorify His word in flesh, it's a lie. He always points us back to those two. He points us to the voice of the Savior. You think about the voice of the Savior. I love when he's talking about being the great shepherd. You remember what he said in John 10, 3? He said, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Is that you this morning? Do you know the voice of Jesus Christ in your life? It says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from the stranger, for they don't know the voice of strangers. Is the voice of Jesus Christ the dominant voice in our lives? Hebrews 12, 2 talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love that word. It's not just glancing, it is fixing, locking on to Jesus. Is that you? Is that me? Some of us may be saying, I, I want to. But I'll confess I'm distracted and pulled by many other voices. How? The first step is this morning making that commitment between you and God. I want your voice to be the dominant voice in my life. And I confess to you that it has not been. Lord, help me. And after that, there are many, many tools to help you. Some of them even right on your smartphone. I'll tell you of just one. How many of you have version on your phone? The Bible app. You know they have plans in there. I don't necessarily recommend every plan in there. You've got to use discernment. But I'll tell you one, if this is the heart cry you have this morning, I want God's voice to be dominant. One I'd recommend is called 10 Days Listening to God by Charles Stanley. Listening to God by Charles Stanley. Now with the Lord, but we can still learn from him through this app. Every day you're going to find a Bible passage and a short devotional to help you learn to listen to God again. Listen, I think about John the Baptist, and I think about how because God's voice was the dominant voice in his life, he was a man who died with his boots on. Some of you know that phrase. It's, it's used to refer to soldiers who were faithful to the mission to the very end of their lives. John the Baptist died with his boots on. I think about that, and I also think about something we remember in this area. This Friday will be 10 years from the day we said goodbye to 19 hotshots who also died with their boots on. They were faithful to their mission to the, to the very end because they believed in what they were doing for the good of others. John died with his boots on because he believed in what he was doing for God. And I hear that and I say, man, God, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. When my time comes, I want to go out with my boots on, fighting the good fight. Finishing the race, as Paul speaks about. And I know many of you feel the same, but if we're honest, we look at this moment in John's life, and maybe we have the question, God, it, it's kind of disheartening when I see John beheaded and Herod still ruling. That points to the fact that in the moment, following Jesus does not always make sense to us. You remember earlier in Matthew, John himself had his own questions. He sent them to Jesus, which was the right response. 
But to help us, we need to remember the rest of the story. I want to talk to you about Herod's downfall. You know, the woman he divorced was the daughter of a neighboring king. Aretas was his name. And you, you can imagine how her dad felt about that. History tells us he was so angry that he waged a war against Herod and his forces. And Herod was sorely defeated, barely getting out with his life because the Romans stepped in. And Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the Jews at the time believed that was God's punishment on him for divorcing his wife and marrying his brother's wife. That defeat, but it got worse. Herodias was power hungry. And she had a brother named Agrippa, who the emperor had made a king. And she said to Herod, who she was married to, I want you to be a king too. We should go to Rome and try to convince Caligula, the emperor, to make you a king. Herod resisted for a while, wore down, finally went, and it backfired. Upon his request and some other things that happened, the emperor looked at Herod and his wife and exiled them altogether from his position of power to Gaul. Defeat and exile in his life. Just pulling back a little bigger, there's something I call the lesson of the Herods, plural. We already saw one of these moments earlier in Matthew. You remember his father tried to kill baby Jesus? But he missed. And listen to this note of victory in Matthew 2.19. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod died and Jesus is back. You go to Herod Agrippa 1. Acts chapter 12, he killed the apostle James and imprisoned Peter. An angel let Peter out and, and Herod couldn't find him. Right after that, Herod gives a, a stirring speech. So much so that Acts 12.22 says the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23 says, Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But listen to verse 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. That's the lesson of the Herods. You say, what about John? As we wrap up, I got to confess, I had a big question about today like how in the world am I going to preach the passage about John the Baptist being beheaded on a day where we're all excited about gathering together I'm thankful I mentioned that to my wife Carolyn she helped me with that and maybe this will encourage you too she said just imagine the moment after the execution for John the Baptist. I want to walk you through 10 things that changed the moment John the Baptist was beheaded. 
His walk changed from faith to sight. His state changed from death to life. His stage changed from perseverance to inheritance. His reception changed from rejection to welcome home. His status changed from captivity to freedom. His atmosphere changed from persecution to celebration. His surroundings changed from filth in a dungeon to glory untold. His experience changed from suffering to relief. His location changed from that dungeon to heaven or Abraham's bosom, if you're so inclined. Whatever the case, his, his company changed from a cold-hearted executioner to that of his loving father. In the deepest sense, we know that father had been with him all along. As John listened to his voice, I believe he must have held on to passages like the one we read in Isaiah 43 two. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Think about Herod, and I think this could have been the mantra of his life. I must become greater. Jesus must become less. We know what John's mantra was. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. In Jesus' own words in Luke 18, 14, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. John died with his boots on, faithful to the Messiah because the Lord's voice was the dominant voice in his life. I close with the same question again. Is God's voice the dominant voice in your life this morning? It is a voice of life. It is a voice of strength. It is a voice of direction for those who will listen and receive. Are you following the Spirit wherever He may lead? If His voice is not the dominant voice, what steps? would God lead you to take this week? Father, I thank you so much for the example of our brother, John the Baptist. This man faithful to you to the very end, a man like us who had questions along the way, but a man who sent them to the Savior. And I pray for us all in this room I would lie if I was not subject to the distractions of daily life. I'll be the first to admit that not all of these voices are bad. Some of them are good. But also to confess that in any voice that becomes greater in our lives than yours becomes an idol. May you work in this room this morning to draw us to that place where your voice is the voice that shapes us above any other. 
And if there's any here saying, man, I, I want that voice, they haven't come to Jesus Christ. Help them to remember He is your word. He went to the cross for them and died, rose again. Bring them to the cross. They might cry out to Him for forgiveness and salvation in His blood and victory and His resurrection this morning. That they too might follow your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.